The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. Did you know that over 95% of all businesses fail within the first 10 years? By listening in to what Bob's guests have to say, plus direction from Bob Pritchard himself, it's our intention that you won't be among those statistics. Now, here's your host, Bob Pritchard. Ah. Welcome to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show, the show for entrepreneurs, those people who really have the ability to change the economic fortunes, the people who will kickstart the economic recovery and build high-paying, high-skilled jobs that are suitable for the 21st century. You know, I'm really proud to host a program that informs and educates small business owners and startups like yourselves. And we want to show you how to avoid making the mistakes of those of us who went before you. Now, we receive a lot of emails here at the Bob Pritchard Radio Show about how to become a speaker. Now, I've been a speaker for 16 years, and it's extremely rewarding. It's taken me to 53 countries and over 1,500 presentations, and I've spoken at events with some of the world's most influential people, Bill Gates, Richard Branson, Neil Armstrong, and literally hundreds of others. You know, I've spoken in Moscow and Istanbul and Kenya and Iran, Saudi Arabia and Venice, and every single one has been an adventure and a great experience. Working with people who have helped shape the world is very exciting, and I've made a lot of really fantastic friends. But more importantly, I've learnt an enormous amount about a wide variety of business issues, about trends, technology. And most people don't have access to that information unless they read literally thousands of books, which I find as boring as batshit. And there's no question that, you know, you learn a lot more about a subject from listening to a master tell the stories than you do from reading a book. Equally as important, these high-level contacts that I've made have been invaluable to me in my business life. I became a speaker because in the early 1990s, I received a call from a colleague who asked me if I wanted to take part in a 46-city tour, business seminar tour. My first book had just been released. I think it had been out about a month. So the time was good. The money was great. So I agreed to it. But God, I'll never forget those first dozen presentations. I was so nervous almost to the point of being absolutely terrified. And it took me 15 minutes to warm up. I constantly screwed up. And it was more like a comedy of errors than a smooth, free-flowing, entertaining, educational presentation. In fact, the first dozen or so presentations were downright embarrassing. So we were 
appearing in one city every day for 46 days. So fortunately, I had a lot of experienced speakers around me and they could give me advice and help me hone my skills. But at the end of those 46 presentations, I certainly wasn't a good speaker, but I was a damn sight better than I was when I started. I'd gotten over some of the nerves and I'd readjusted my presentation to make sure that the start was more powerful. And now, 20 years later, I'm a pretty busy speaker. So, if you're listening out there, who can be a speaker? If you're an expert in something, irrespective of what the hell it is, and your knowledge can be of interest to other people, then you can be a speaker. You need to determine topics that will be of interest to your target audience, research them thoroughly so that you're on top of your game, and then prepare a presentation. Now, you may be lucky to find that um, there's not many other speakers in your category, or you might be entering a field like me, business and marketing, where there are already tens of thousands of speakers. So you've got to find a way to differentiate yourself from those other speakers. It's no different than any other business. And if you listen to this show regularly, you will have heard me talk over and over again about the importance of differentiating yourself no matter what business you're in. One way to create, one, you know, there's several ways to do it, but one way to do it is to create names for your presentation that catch the potential client's interest. For example, a good mate of mine has a presentation called Think Like a Fish. And another female speaker I know had a presentation entitled How to Be Successful Without a Penis. And that certainly caught people's attention and differentiated it. She got a lot of work. But the best way to differentiate yourself as a speaker is to become the industry expert. And the best way to do this is to write a book and get terrific endorsements from highly respected people. This demonstrates to potential bookers that you have something to say that is really important. My recent book, Kick-Ass Business Marketing Secrets, How to Blitz Your Competition, you know, I got four diversified testimonials. One was from Tim Draper, one of the most respected venture capitalists in the world, responsible for Skype, Hotmail, Baidu and others. Alfonso Roberas, marketing manager for Real Madrid, the world's number two sports team. Cecilia Chott from the leading real estate companies of the world. And Edwin Basson, who's chairman of an 82-country pharmaceutical chain. So these testimonials stamp kick-ass as an important business book. So how do you go about publishing a book? Well, you can submit your manuscript to a traditional... You can submit your manuscript to a traditional publisher or you can self-publish. There are lots of companies who will turn the manuscript into a bound book. So... Then you've got to either find a distributor to put it in the stores or sell it directly over the web. Using your book and your testimonials, you then need to make presentations to local organisations and companies that are in your field of expertise 
and try out those presentations. Now, you very quickly, once you're in front of an audience, get to determine what works and what doesn't, enabling you to make your presentations tighter, more interesting. You know, when I construct my presentations, I make sure that I've got a start, a beginning, and an end. I tell them what I'm going to talk about, then lay out my message and sum it up at the end. I also make sure that every five minutes or so, I have a circuit breaker. Now, that's something that changes the mood and the attention of the audience. It might be a story relevant to my presentation that's really funny. It may be going into the audience and interacting one-on-one. It might be a particularly emotional and personal story. It might be introducing a prop. It doesn't matter what it is as long as you grab the audience attention. Once you have the presentation to a stage where local audiences are enthusiastic about it, it's time to launch your speaking career. You now have three choices. You can contact target corporations directly. You can work through speakers bureaus or you can do a combination of both. I choose to work exclusively through speakers bureaus and that has served me really well. If we get a call directly from a client, then refer, then we refer them to a local bureau. That way, bureaus look after everything. All you have to do is focus on your presentation. It takes a while to build a database of bureaus and speaking agents. We now have got about 2,000 across the world and we can, we keep in touch with them by phone as often as possible and by email at least once a month. This, these contacts keep you in mind. You know, if you've got 50,000 competitors out there, you need to be front of mind. It's also important to establish a website which tells the visitor why that they should book you, why you're the best speaker for the job. Give them your credentials, list previous clients, give testimonials, and more importantly, put a video highlighting the best segments from the presentations that you have done. So even if your phone, record them on an iPhone, put those clips up. Ask the bureau's advice on what you should charge. You know, when I started, I was 750 bucks. Then it went to 1250 and 3000 and 7500 and 12500 up to where it is today. But don't just do it for the money. Do it for the fun, the contacts, and the incredible learning journey that you'll experience. Now, once you get speaking jobs and get paid for them, you're a professional speaker. Now, I'd like to finish this chat about how to become a speaker with my 10 tips for all speakers. I'm sure other speakers have a different 10 tips, but these won't steer you wrong. First one, be well prepared. I always have briefings with the client. I determine what they want to take out from my presentation and also from the conference as a whole. I then do independent research into trends and challenges in their industry, which I get from Google, and I incorporate this into my presentation. I always try to go to a company function before I speak. I talk to as many people as possible. I learn names that I can use in my presentation. It always helps to refer to somebody in the audience. I get their viewpoint and adapt my presentation accordingly. Thirdly, you need to be passionate and confident and have fun out there. It's infectious and it ingratiates the audience to you. Four, 
You need to use emotion, tell poignant stories, modulate your voice and the tempo, go into the audience and interact with them. You must maintain their attention. I balance my presentation every five to seven minutes with stories and humour and action, props, audience interaction. Keep them entertained and they remember what you're presenting, particularly those contained in a story. I have people come up to me saying, I remember that story that you told and I'm still telling my sales team and it could have been 20 years ago. Use the whole stage. Work the room, front, back, sides, everywhere. Get off the platform. Walk up the back of the audience. Six, sorry, seven, keep PowerPoints to a minimum. Don't use too much copy. Every PowerPoint should have a powerful message. Eighth tip, be flexible. Know your subject so well that when you interact with the audience, if somebody gives you a question, that you can go with the flow and address it. Finally, oh, always be humble. That's important. It doesn't matter how much of a success or a celebrity you are, no matter how much you've achieved, be humble. People relate to you much more readily. Finally, be you. Audiences can pick a fake in about 30 seconds. If they catch you out, that makes your next 59 and a half minutes bloody miserable. So I hope you go onto my website, bobpritchard.com, and enroll for my June newsletter, which is out this week. Don't forget to email me at bob at bobpritchard.com. Tweet me at the Bob Pritchard. Join me on LinkedIn, Facebook, or Google+. Contact me in any way that takes your fancy, but don't ignore me. And if you want to book me for a presentation, just drop me an email and I'll refer you to my favourite bureau in your area. I'm Bob Pritchard. I'll be back in a moment with a couple of guests. The first one is a guy that knows all about the speaking business, Jonathan Wygant, the CEO of Big Speak Speakers Bureau. And then my second guest is the former chairman of Warner Music, Rob Dickens. For all you music buffs out there, my director of host services here at Voice America told me just before we went on air that in the late 80s, Enya had a song, Orinoco Flow, and in that song, one line is, we can steer, we can near, with Bob Dickens at the wheel. It also mentions somebody named Ross, and we're, we can't find out who the hell that is. So if you can help identify Ross, drop me an email to bob at bobpritchard.com, and I'll be back in just a moment. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Do you want your business to achieve results you never thought possible? Bob Pritchard is recognized as the business leader's advisor and has 30 years of experience as a straight-talking troubleshooter for Fortune 500 companies and SMEs across the world. Whether you need a checkup across all departments of your business or simply want to improve marketing, advertising, performance measurement, or some other area, Bob Pritchard will work his magic so you can blow away your competition. Bob Pritchard is also one of the most in-demand speakers in the world. Over 1,500 clients on five continents and countless standing ovations are a testament to how he changes the fortunes of business. Pick up Bob's new book, 
kick-ass business and marketing secrets at your nearest bookstore. Or visit Bob's website at www.bobpritchard.com. Remember, if you want to be successful, call Bob Pritchard now. Worldwide phone numbers and more information can be found at bobpritchard.com. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. To connect with Bob, please send an email to bob at bobpritchard.com. That's bob at bobpritchard.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to the Bob Pritchard Straight Talking, No Bullshit Business Radio Show. I'm coming to you tonight from Hong Kong. As you know, I've made over 1,500 speeches to companies in 53 countries, and it's a fantastic business to be in. You get to educate people, you share the stage with the world's thought leaders, you learn a lot, and you have a lot of fun. People often talk to me about, you know, what does it take to be a speaker? And other people ask me how they go about hiring a speaker. So I thought I'd go straight to the expert. Big Speak in Santa Barbara, California, is one of the world's leading full-spectrum bureaus. They represent every major business speaker, thought leader, athlete and author on the planet. The president and founder of Big Speak, Jonathan Wygant, himself a member of the World Presidents Organization, he's with me now. Hi Jonathan, welcome to the show. Hey, it's a pleasure Bob. Thank you so much for the invitation. I guess the first question is, do you have to do something extraordinary like walk on the moon to become a speaker? Well, you know, there are a lot of folks who've had very interesting lives, and some of them are kind of those adventure-type folks, and their stories are very interesting. But no, you don't need to have uh, walked on the moon or climbed Everest, though there are folks who uh, have, have done that. Um, you basically just need to have lived an interesting life, delved into some subject, uh, experience something that other people haven't and that where you've gotten some sort of a, a great learning that other people could benefit from. And then, obviously, you want to uh, be able to articulate that story in a way that other people can learn and grow and be inspired. Okay, so and be interesting, I guess. So what specific attributes does a, a speaker need? Well, um, I'd say, first of all, they, they need to be able to be calm on a stage, um, to be able to address um, and have an interesting story that keeps people, obviously, awake and interested, um, <laughs> have some, some charisma, some, some good energy from the stage. It's, it's, it's different when you're on a stage. You need good sparkly energy to keep people interested, motivated. Hopefully you've got some humor uh, mixed in as well with, with the interesting story or the, the the knowledge that you want to share. Yeah, you need that sort of on-off switch. I know that I'm a totally different person on stage than I am off stage. That sort of entertainer in me comes mm-hmm. out. So um, and, and, and I still get very nervous, I must admit. I've, I've done so many speeches, but I still get nervous. Um, so where would you recommend that a potential speaker begin? How, do I, how would somebody find out whether they have the skills to be a speaker? Does it start with something like Toastmasters or something like that? Well, you know, it very well could. I know earlier in, in my career, uh, I was in Toastmasters, and that got me some of the 
the real basics of being able to speak, to not be using the ahs and the ums, and <laughs> to to actually be able to think on your feet. Um, and so I would just say that that uh, speaking to a rotary clubs, uh, at least in North America, um, that would be one way to do it. Local business networking groups, there are always those going on where folks who are interested in, you know, real estate folks or insurance folks or architects, everybody kind of goes to kind of put, put their business card out. And all the, those groups are always looking for somebody to come and, and give a half-hour, 45-minute talk, and it's a good way to get your message out there and uh, get your chops uh, sharpened up. Yeah, it's a good way to, to learn. One of the most important things, I think, is to be able to read the audience and to be able to think on your feet quickly, and that would be a good way to start in a friendly audience, um, people that you Indeed. know. Okay, so let's look at the other side of the coin. Um, the organisation that's looking to hire a speaker for a conference, um, you know, apart from phoning Big Speak and asking to book me, <laughs> what are the major considerations that a company should make when they're choosing a speaker? Well, first and foremost, does the speaker know what they're talking about? Um, have they written a book? Um, have they spoken many times? I mean, certainly one of the things that we do here at Big Speak is nobody comes on our team without being heavily vetted. Uh, and by that, that means either one of us have, have actually heard that speaker or we've heard from at least three meeting planners at legitimate organizations, corporations, who've hired a speaker and saying, hey, this guy or gal did a fabulous job, delivered a great message. We love him. We're going to rebook him. If we hear that from two or three people who are working for a Ford or an Amgen or a Xerox, you know, we know that that person's legitimate. Yep. So that would be one of the ways that we vet people um, to, to bring them onto our team. So how do, how do um, speaking experts help to improve the performance of employees? How does, what do they get out of it? Well, obviously, you know, a, a, a great speech to a group of people can be very motivating. Uh, great knowledge can be trans, you know, transmitted to these folks. There can, there can be some sparks that, that, that get ignited. Um, there where people go, well, gee, I, I had never looked at something like that, or, hey, I ought to start doing this. Um, it's, it's, it's those kinds of moments that, that ignite um, change within people. Um, when you couple that with some ongoing uh, follow-up work, much what, like what you may have done, Bob, is you come in and give a talk, and then they'll say, hey, she loved your talk. Um, we know a, a 60-minute or 75-minute talk isn't going to you know, change a lot, but we want you to do more. We love what we heard. We want you to come in and you know, roll up your sleeves, work with our team, uh, put on some workshops, and let's really find out about how to market um, our products better and how to serve our customers uh, with excellence. And that would be something that you would do, and, and we you know, obviously bring you into our clients to accomplish that objective. Yeah, one of the things that uh, really works for me is our stories. I have people that um, I run into that I spoke to their company five years ago or something, and they say, I'm still telling our sales guys that story um, that you told us about whatever. And uh, so they, they, they do take it in and they do remember, and it, it does make a big difference. Yeah, Bob, I would just say stories that... Um 
are, are really important. Parables, uh, homilies, you know, all those types of things are much better than just, you know, straight information because people remember the stories. It locks in the, the learning. And I would say one other thing. It's important to really know your audience. Are you working with, the, you know, way up the food chain? Is it, the, you know, is it CEO and, and senior team uh, that's being addressed? There you might want to have, a, you know, a great deal of very relevant content. Is it a sales group um, that, uh, you know, they've been droned at by, by company uh, folks for two days and they, they need to be pepped up? Well, then you might want to have the talk be much more on the motivational side. So that's one of the things we always ask um, clients who, who call us for a speaker. Well, how much facts, how much real material and, and relevant um, learning do you want versus the side of, hey, wanting to really pump these people up? And most people, you know, it'll, it'll be somewhere in the middle or toward one, one, one of those edges, depending on where during the day. Obviously, you, anytime you do anything in the evening, you want it to be very high on the fun, you know, laughter, humorous side. You don't want to be doing a bunch of, you know, heavy learning, you know, after people have had cocktails or dinner. Yeah, that's true. It's, it's critical to, I've got a detailed briefing sheet, as you know, that um, I find out the, the educational level of the people and all of that sort of stuff because you could give us a presentation four times to the same company and speak to four totally different groups of people who have totally different roles and you need a different presentation. Um, exactly. So how can an organisation capitalise on the money that it spends on a speaker at a conference? Well, um, I would say the way that it can capitalise on it is... First and foremost, do a little poll of the people who are going to be in the audience. A lot of times, senior leaders, they'll have a definite agenda. That agenda that they have in terms of, of what they want for their group may or may not have a high correlation with the actual challenges of that group. So That's true. One of the things, one of the things I think is really important is to do a survey. It doesn't have to be of everybody, but... You know, do a survey of 5 or 10% of the folks who are attending and saying, hey, you know, what are your challenges? What keeps you up in the middle of the night? What, are, what, are you, what is your group griping about around the water cooler? And just make sure that those answers get woven into the, the topic, the theme, and, um, and answered over the course of a keynote speech or over the course of a conference. I think that's really critical because you often find out, you know, I always make sure that I go to the event. There's usually an event the night before. I always make sure that I go to the event and uh, I usually find myself getting back to my room and, and rapidly scribbling notes to change my presentation because you do get a different slant uh, when, you, when you're when pe- speaking to the people at the coalface. So, and, and that's, you know, one of the things we encourage our speakers to get there a little early, hopefully even meet with the... Uh, the CEO or the senior executive is, who's involved in the event, so yep, that, uh, that per, there's a real tie-in to the exact needs of that senior executive, but it's also balanced with, you know, the survey or some information from the folks who are going to be addressed. Absolutely. So how much information do employees actually retain from a good speaker? Well, there's actually a fair amount of, of evidence in this. Um, I think that the a keynote speech is, is one of the most important things that an organization can do. And that's not just because we're a speaker's bureau. Sure. But the fact is people need to get pumped up. P- 
people, you know, this, the world is challenging out there. Things are moving faster and faster. More and more demands are being placed uh, on employees. Most companies went through the 0809 time period and had to lay off people or downsize. So there's more work being demanded of folks. So having a speaker come in and deliver some important information about how you can do your job better, et cetera, et cetera, is important. But the, the statistics show that over time, um, a keynote speech will probably result in a, something around a 5% improvement in behavior. People will retain around 5% um, of what they heard as time moves on. In order to make that a higher number, if a company has a great speaker come in and follows it up with um, a workshop or a training where folks actually can roll up their sleeves, begin to actually apply those principles to meaningful challenges that they have in the workplace, that number uh, quadruples to around 22%. The and you multiply. Final piece, yeah, it's a, it's a great multiplier. That's right. That's right. So, okay. We're, then, we're running. I was just going to say. Okay. Go, go ahead. Go, no, go ahead. No, I was just going to say that if you could then couple the a workshop within some executive coaching where um, there's actually um, some objectives that individuals have around feedback from their cohorts, if you will, about how they could do their job better, what their objectives are, um, that number goes from 5% to 20% all, all the way up to 88%. And 88% improvement in behavior and retention of information if, you, if a company links speaking, a training, and some coaching. That's fantastic. Okay, we're at the end of our time, but what topics are hot in the speaking world right now? Well, um, uh, lots of topics are, are hot, but the ones that I think at top of the heap would be innovation. A lot of companies really looking to see how they can innovate and come out of this, uh, this recession in a powerful way. Um, marketing, how to market better, um, how, to, how to reach people when there's just this overload of information which kind of goes into your area. How to deal with change, especially disruptive change, because yep. there's a lot of disruption going sure. on. Um, and lastly, I'd say strategy and teams. Um, how do teams work better? How do we break down silos? And how do we get uh, teams to really work in a very functional, uh, positive way? Thanks, Jonathan. It's great to speak to you again. It's been a while. So if you're out there and you're looking to really educate and motivate your team, speak to Jonathan and the fabulous team at Big Speak to find the speaker that's just right for you. Look them up on the web at bigspeak.com. So much, Bob. Thank you. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Do you want your business to achieve results you never thought possible? Bob Pritchard is recognized as the business leader's advisor and has 30 years of experience as a straight-talking troubleshooter for Fortune 500 companies and SMEs across the world. Whether you need a checkup across all departments of your business or simply want to improve marketing, advertising, performance measurement, or some other area, Bob Pritchard will work his magic so you can blow away your competition. Bob Pritchard is also one of the most in-demand speakers in the world. Over 1,500 clients on five continents and countless standing ovations are a testament to how he changes the fortunes of business. 
Pick up Bob's new book, Kick-Ass Business and Marketing Secrets, at your nearest bookstore. Or visit Bob's website at www.bobpritchard.com. Remember, if you want to be successful, call Bob Pritchard now. Worldwide phone numbers and more information can be found at bobpritchard.com. Technology is changing the way we live our lives and how we do business. On CIO Talk Radio, we talk about the benefits of technology and the great things it allows us to do, as well as its risks. Heard every Wednesday at 9 a.m. Central, 7 a.m. Pacific, Sunjo Gall interviews business leaders and other experts that are shaping the way we use technology. To learn more about the show, visit www.ciotalkradio.com. Keep up with the changing world of technology and listen to CIO Talk Radio with Sunjo Gall. Listen in every Wednesday at 9 a.m. Central, 7 a.m. Pacific, right here on Voice America Business. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. To connect with Bob, please send an email to bob at bobpritchard.com. That's bob at bobpritchard.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to the Bob Pritchard straight-talking, no-bullshit radio show. I really appreciate you being with me tonight. This segment is about the business of show business. What happens behind the scenes, how it works, not the crap that you read in the tabloids. And when I talk about show business, I mean it in the really the broadest form. We've had actors, singers, theme park attraction builders, gold medalists, and tonight we're fortunate to have Rob Dickens, one of the heavyweights of the world music recording industry with us. Rob was Managing Director of Warner Brothers Music Publishing, then appointed international vice president when he personally signed up Vangelis, the Sex Pistols, among others. He later became the chairman of Warner Music UK and made the company hugely profitable with artists such as Prince, Foreigner, ZZ Top and Madonna driving the profits. Rob brought Seal, Simply Red and Sher to the label. He also constructed Sher's song Believe with six writers that didn't meet each other until they picked up all their awards and worked with Rod Stewart. He works extensively with the arts and was honoured by the Queen with a CBE and in 2003 was named Man of the Year, receiving the Music Industry Trust Award. Now, I've caught Robert 11 o'clock at night in London after a big night out and he's in the music industry and he's sober. Now, that's a, that's quite a... Um, Quite a claim to fame. Hi, Rob. How are you? Hi, I'm Bob. I'm sober. That's all you need to know. That is fantastic. Um, in the last 15 years, I don't, I don't quite... I, I had several singles back in the 60s. It gives you an idea of how old I am. And uh, we used to record them and then run them around the radio stations and beg and plead and bribe to get them played. But in the last 15 years... Um, Everything's changed, hasn't it? It's been turned on its head. So, and as I understand it, the, the days of producing an album and running around all the stations and doing all that, that seems to be over. Um, is the focus now totally on singles and the internet or is that too simple? I think that's, I think that's much too simple. I think that the, 
the running around radio stations and more these days television stations is still the key to breaking an artist and to making the big sales. We now live in an environment where there are a million ways to get your music heard. But when uh, when I was growing up in the business, there were very few. Um, so now, if you if you're creating music, you do not have to go to a record company to get a record deal. You can actually put your music out there. The only trouble with doing that, of course, is so are a million other people at the same time. Yeah. So you have so many more access points now than you ever had, but still the radio, the television, the record company are acting as filters. So you've got more music now than ever before, but the filters are still as dominant as ever, and that is the traditional means that we all grew up with. So does radio play actually matter anymore? I mean, I I sit in my car and I listen to um, satellite radio now. I never listen to regular terrestrial radio and I don't I don't know anybody that does so and most people seem to be sitting there glued to their iPod or whatever they're glued to so does actual radio matter that much anymore well radio matters in the fact that when it broadcasts four minutes of music yep. it's heard by a lot a lot of people at the same time right. so radio audiences are as big as they ever were um, again we have more ways of listening to music and having, you know, making your own compilations, making your own. But all you're really doing there is repeating your own playlist. So you're really sort of on a downward spiral of discovery by right. starting with the, uh, with a world that you already know and then listening to that time and time again. So the actual point of listening to radio or going online to discover music, um, is still incredibly important because people, as much as they're very happy listening to music they either grew up with or they're familiar with or they're comfortable with, there's still the cutting edge still makes a hell of a lot of difference. And that really is about new discovery. And new discovery comes from radio and the internet now. So is it, is it about, is the important thing about radio, say, over, over the internet or MTV, is it the most important thing that, it, that you get a lot of people hearing it at the same time so that gives impetus to the sale so exactly it's a synchronicity of a hundred thousand people hearing one piece of music at the same time and maybe two thousand people going out and buying it as a result that you can't get with the internet because you don't know who else is listening to it at the same time so you it's a radio whether it's broadcast or it's internet radio um, such as Last FM or Pandora or any of the new kind of um, discovery music stations, yeah. it's still incredibly important. So is this given a big advantage to the uh, smaller record labels or the independent record labels, or are the big record labels just as important as they always were? Well, the big record labels um, have the connections with radio and television. Yeah. They also have, not that anyone at radio and television would agree, would, would agree to this, <laughs> but, but in effect, if you've got the biggest act in the world yeah. um, and you're talking to a TV station about a new act, they want access to your big acts. Sure. So they're not, they're not going to upset you by not listening. They're not going to just play it because you want them to play it, yeah. but they will give special treatment in the way they listen to your new acts because they, right. they still want access to your big acts. Now, that works whether you're a, a small label or a big label if yeah, you've got sure. big acts, but the, the big, big labels have the bigger acts and have more of them. Mm. Therefore, when it comes to television and radio, 
it's an advantage. And it comes to money, it's an advantage in terms of marketing, promotion, all the other things you can do. So the big record labels are not yet dinosaurs, as if they're, they're being written off as. They, they are still incredibly powerful um, machines to make talent, to turn talent into success. But whereas they used to be those in the medium and, and independents, whereas they used to be the only way of it happening, they now... Um, are, are a major part, but not all of it. So the, the, the landscape's changed in that effect. Yeah, you do hear about the the imminent death of the of the labels. Um, so, well, the imminent death of the labels is because they just keep eating each other. When I started the music business, you know, there was Island Records and Virgin Records and RCA and CBS and Warner's and Electron. You know, they, all these things existed as separate entities. Yeah. And now, of course, there are three. So the, the way they're, they're reducing themselves is just by, you know, cannibalism. It's not, it's, it's not really by erosion. So this big change that um, has happened in the way we market, um, market our music, who's that disadvantaged the most? The record companies, the music publishers, the artists or the public? Or who, who's really been disadvantaged by this? Well, I think the entire business is disadvantaged by the fact there is so much illegal consumption of music. I mean, it's, re- it's reckoned to be in excess of 75% of music is consumed um, sort of outside of people paying for it. Wow. Um, so, th- but that's always existed in physical form as well, with piracy and CD and, and cassette piracy. Um, so, it's that entire, everyone that participates from the artists of the record companies suffer from that, and that is a product of technology, technology. Technology has allowed access to music, but it's also access to have music for free. Is that is that a um, you know people people here, particularly in the US, are always saying if everybody paid half as much tax, everybody would stick their hand up and own up and pay all the tax that you, you that you on tax money you you earn, which I think is a bunch of crap because I think if people are going to cheat in their taxes, they're going to cheat no matter what the level of tax is. However, is that the same with music? I mean, do people say, well, bloody, why am I going to pay a buck fifty for a song? Um, why don't and I, I can get it for free. Yeah, well, or if it was 50 cents, would they buy it and not run the risk of doing it illegally? I have a feeling. I don't think there's any risk of doing it illegally, really. I mean, I don't think people sit there. It's, it's a bit like driving at sort of 35 and a 30 mile limit i don't think people yeah. think they're breaking the law when they do it so yeah. um they know they are but i don't think they feel that risk of it would they do it? i i'm a big believer um uh, i'm probably in the minority is that i do think it matters yeah. i think when when the potential consumption of music is in the hundreds of millions if not right. billions and yeah. um, we, we can see from the downloads of a Lady Gaga or a or a Dell videos that yeah. there are hundreds of millions of people consuming music. Yeah. I think, and if you're thinking that 75% of them are not paying for it, I have a feeling that if the price came down to a significant level, yeah. which it is doing by erosion, but I think if it was a decision made yeah. that if you put music out online at a very very affordable price. Then I think a lot of people would go. I'm very happy with paying this small amount for it, and I think you'd get a huge increase in small amounts yeah, that would be far in excess of what you get from today. 
But what's happening is it's happening by erosion. Whereas people used to buy an album for, you know, 10, 15 bucks. Um, and now they're, they're picking two or three tracks. Right. So, so to get the, what their enjoyment of an album, they're probably paying three dollars. Yeah. So yeah. it's already gone down dramatically, but it's seen as the consumer doing that and not as the record industry or the music industry doing that. So I, I have a feeling that it will get to a, uh, an amount, whether it's through subscription models or other ways of happening, that, that uh, streaming is, you know, they obviously the new one, um, where pay, paying for play will be minute but enormous numbers. Right. And I think that's, that's what the future is going to be. Um, and it will probably be through something like Facebook. I think Facebook, you know, could end up being the most important music network wow. because it's already got so many people on it. Yeah, 700 million or something. So if you can go on it and, and get music and then there's a payment structure worked out within something like that, uh, there's a lot of thought that needs to go into where it goes to next because always a lot of the music industry sticks to the old models if we're living in the CD explosion of the late 80s. Yeah. Um, and they're still trying to have that business model to go forward and that business model has been shattered. Yeah. But they're still clinging on to it. And there's a lot of backward thinking in the music industry where, and a lot of forward thinking in the technology industries and the Googles, the Facebooks. They're thinking about the future and the record industry is still trying to hold on to getting the 15 bucks for the CD. Yeah, and I also, I also believe that they're missing a trick because um, for the fan who wants the physical product yeah. and doesn't want to just have a name on a playlist, yeah. then there's a way of getting like a high cost at the moment, the CD is in a flimsy jewel box that falls apart with lyrics you can't read because they're printed so small. Yep. Um, particularly if you get to our age, Bob. Um, That's right, and, <laughs> and And a fan wants more. A fan wants something limited edition. They want, and we've seen this with Nine Inch Nails and um, bands who actually give their fan base something special, that the fan base pays a lot of money for it. Yep. Way more than the 10, 15 bucks of the old days. But you're getting something, you should be able to get something physically special for a higher amount and then something that is just a digital file for a lower amount. That's my thought process. Yeah, no, I agree with that. So are music publishers and the record labels still as important in the industry or is self-publishing, you know, recording in your kitchen with an Apple? I, I, I'm thinking back to the last album by... Um, uh, the la- I can't think of a name, but the lady out of Canada, uh, f- phenomenal singer who, who recorded, yeah, who recorded the whole thing, the whole album in a in a kitchen on an apple, and it was just brilliant. <laughs> that, that well, there is that is the fact that you can technology has changed. It was, you know, it was about a hundred thousand dollars to make a record, a, a sort of fairly basic recording, yeah, um, and now you can do it for nothing, yeah. So that has changed the ability to make music. So the record companies love it, right? No, the record companies still have to pay. You know, they basically pay an artist in advance. In advances, they pay them what they think they're going to earn. If they're not going to earn a million dollars, then perhaps they're paying a million dollars. The album may cost a million dollars to make. It may cost five dollars to make. Yeah. But that's that the record companies are not getting off any lighter because the cost of making music has gone down. What the artist has got is the ability to make records without a record company saying, or a music publisher saying, we're going to give you the chance. So 
so the chance has occurred. So for creativity, it's fantastic. Right. And, and for the record companies, it doesn't make much difference in terms of their, um, of their profit and cash base. Rob, unfortunately, we've just about run out of time. So thanks very, very much for being on the show, particularly at the end of a long night. I know it's about midnight, so you're probably dying to get to bed. Um, I'm, I'm in the local business. I don't go to bed of it now. <laughs> you sit up and drink Coke and, and eat <laughs> chips. <laughs> well, it's Bob Pritchard, and I'll be right back after this short break with answers to your emails. The business community's first choice in Internet talk radio. Voice America Business Network. Do you want your business to achieve results you never thought possible? Bob Pritchard is recognized as the business leader's advisor and has 30 years of experience as a straight-talking troubleshooter for Fortune 500 companies and SMEs across the world. Whether you need a checkup across all departments of your business or simply want to improve marketing, advertising, performance measurement, or some other area, Bob Pritchard will work his magic so you can blow away your competition. Bob Pritchard is also one of the most in-demand speakers in the world. Over 1,500 clients on five continents and countless standing ovations are a testament to how he changes the fortunes of business. Pick up Bob's new book, Kick-Ass Business and Marketing Secrets, at your nearest bookstore or visit Bob's website at www.bobpritchard.com. Remember, if you want to be successful, call Bob Pritchard now. Worldwide phone numbers and more information can be found at bobpritchard.com. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. To connect with Bob, please send an email to bob at bobpritchard.com. That's bob at bobpritchard.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to the Bob Pritchard Straight Talking Business Show, coming to you this week from my hometown of Los Angeles. I apologize for um, some of the quality of with that uh, interview with Rob, but it was midnight in, in London. I suspect it was wet, and uh, the line was a bit dicey in a couple of places, but I thought it was a great interview. Um, we really appreciate the emails that you send from all over the planet, and uh we analyze them and, and uh, determine what questions are the most popular with businesses around the world. And I think the reason that this uh, segment is so popular is that irrespective of where you are in the world and what business you're in or whether you're a large business or a small business or a startup or established, we all have the same issues. It's amazing that I'll go into a, a large company consulting and um, they'll have exactly the same problems as a company that's only got 10 employees. So no matter where you are in the world and no matter what sort of business you have, I hope this segment uh, will be of benefit to you. First email is from Jackson Andrews from Albany in Georgia. And Jackson writes, Dear Bob, great show. I have it programmed every week and it is a one hour a week where I stop what I'm doing and just listen. You have been of a lot of benefit to me. I've heard you talk about risk reversal so many times on the show, but I'm not quite sure what you mean by risk reversal. Can you explain it to me in a bit more detail? Well, first of all, Jackson, I'm, I'm going to send you a copy of my new book, 
Kick-Ass Business and Marketing Secrets because it includes a whole chapter on risk reversal and explains it in detail. Um, risk reversal is a policy that can more than double your chances of closing a sale. So it's well worth looking at and understanding and implementing. Now, the reason people don't buy from you is even when it is a product they like and it's priced okay, they question the purchase. Maybe I'll get it cheaper somewhere else. Maybe my spouse won't like it. Maybe I'll go home and find that I don't like the colour. It could be one of a hundred reasons why they think twice about purchasing it. They don't buy because they see the purchase as a risk. So if you can take away that risk, you dramatically increase the chance of a purchase. And once they purchase and they get it home, it's highly unlikely that they'll return the product. Now, there's a number of different risk reversals. The first one is obviously money-back guarantee. If you don't like it, we'll give you your money back. Well, we don't want to do that because we don't want to be giving people money back. It's hard enough to get, them off, get it off them in the first place. So that's a good risk reversal, but it's not a preferred one. Matching competitive offers. If you buy it from me and then you find it cheaper somewhere else, then... Um, I'll give you the refund the difference. I did that for Toyota a few years ago, and um, I think in the first five years, they didn't refund one single cent. Um, you can replace the purchase with something else at no cost. Well, that's not that's all right, because that doesn't really cost you anything. Um, a free trial. Uh, once people get it into their home or buy it, even if they don't use it or don't like it, very seldom do they ever bring it back. A very effective one is testimonials and awards. Anything that you've won, any awards that you've won, um, testimonials, somebody that's um, well-known saying they used it or they went to your place and it was fantastic, and intangible such as providing them with exceptional information. So thanks, Jackson. I hope that uh, makes risk reversal a little clearer for you. You know, we here at the Bob Pritchard Radio Show are all about helping small business to be more successful and more profitable. So keep sending us your emails and we'll answer them. If we don't answer them on air, we will certainly respond by email, but we will definitely answer them. I'm running out of time, but let's see if we can get through one more. My next email is from Ron Wilson of Maryland. Dear Bob, thanks for your program. You're easy to understand. I really enjoy it. I have a plan for my own business, but it's so difficult to start a business in a recession. So should I wait until the economy picks up before I leave my job and give it a go? Ron? It's always bloody hard to start a business. There's no good time. Actually, most of the country is not in a recession. It's a two-speed economy. So it may depend on what line of business you're going into. In reality, when people think there's a recession, they tend not to promote. They stop advertising. So, in fact, your competition may be a lot less now. And it could be a great time for you to start your new business. But don't go into it thinking it'll be easy because it's not and also, big companies are so inflexible, uh, and when they get into a recession mindset, they stop promoting, they stop releasing new products. So it could be a great time for you to take advantage, um, if you are efficient and flexible, of the um, getting get in under the noses of the big companies. That could work with you very well. So I actually think it's a pretty good time to go into business. It's always a good time to go into your own business. Remember... The Bob Pritchard Show is here to help you succeed. 
Send in your questions. Email me at bobpritchard.com and follow me on Twitter and Google+. And uh, join me on LinkedIn. Just a reminder, if you missed my May newsletter and would like to receive my June newsletter, go to www.bobpritchard.com and register today. I also have a full list of products available on there and a lot of the things we discuss on the um, on the program you can get. So I will see you at the same time next week. Thanks for listening. You've been listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. Please join us again next Tuesday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Until then, enjoy another week of success in your business and your life.